This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lens Me Your Ears. This is a film podcast where we see something new in cinemas or on streaming services and connect it with the history of film. And hopefully you'll learn about some movies you may not know about. And uh, and that'll that'll set you on a path to movie love. My, my name is Karsten Knox. I'm a film writer. I've got a blog called Flaw in the Iris. And you can find that at halifaxbloggers.ca. A long, dark, twisted path indeed. Yes, and I'm Stephen Cook. I'm an arts writer here in Halifax with The Chronicle. Harold, and uh, you are listening to Lends Me Your Ears. What are we talking about today, Karsten? We are talking about a mysterious, mercurial leading man, born in Beirut, raised in Toronto, became a star more than 30 years ago. He is one of the in- most interesting people in Hollywood history, and it's Keanu Reeves. Of course, we're talking about him. He has found new cosmic love from the internet lately, and we'll be going back to check out his body of work. Whoa. The F-bombing New York Times bestsellers, Thug Kitchen. Gwyneth Paltrow's two-time co-author, Julia Tertian. The polite and proper Great British Bake Off's food stylist. What do they all have in common? They're all at the intersection of culinary arts and pop culture. And they've all been guests on The Food Podcast. A Village Soundcast network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. If you really want to connect with someone, Just write them a letter. It was a dark and stormy night. The only light came from a lantern swinging from the gatepost. A pathway to where? What's your pathway? What's in your brown paper bag? I think for me, it's more about a feeling. Is that when I'm writing about food, I'm really writing about people. It was a springboard to learn about culture, history, and of course, health. As a story, I almost want there to be some internal conflict, even if it is just eggs or French toast. I am the architect of my own health. I decide what direction I go in. I build its foundation with every thought I think and with what I eat. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. So, Karsten, we are in the middle of a Keanuissance, for yeah. lack of a better word. No, it no, you're like, absolutely right. It seems like, uh, even though he's always been working, I guess, in one way or another, uh, it seems like uh, the planets have realigned, and he's just had a lot of great projects in a row recently, and we've just been seeing a lot of him uh, doing that Keanu thing, but in a kind of, on, on like some sort of elevated plane or something like that, like he's achieved... Uh, new sentience or something. I can't really explain it, but but uh, the world is has fallen in love with Keanu Reeves all over again, and uh, and we're perfectly okay with that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I certainly recognize the times that he has sort of fallen on his face, chosen projects that were not great, and maybe not been that great in projects that were good. Uh, you know, he, I think he is an actor with a particular charm. And if you put him in the right role, he can be amazing. He's so watchable. He's so likable. Um, so that's what you need from a leading man. Uh, and then, you know, there are times when I just felt like I scratched my head going, who thought that he would be right for this role? But to full his to his full credit, he has continued. He has he has been in small indie roles and indie films that no one saw. He has been in huge blockbusters. Of course, everyone knows Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and a third film coming in 2020. Bill um, and Ted Face the Music. Yep. Yeah, I've heard. I've, it's, it's, I'm excited to see that. Of course, everyone knows about Speed. He was in the first one, not the second one. Smart move. And he was, of course, in those Matrix movies, those three of those. Uh, all of these are the big tent poles that uh, I think established his credentials as a 
celebrity as a leading man. And then more recently, John Wick. We'll be talking about John Wick Chapter 3. You know, just came out. I think it's still in cinemas. Uh, He's also in the Toy Story franchise now. He was he's (laughs) in the fourth Toy Story, which is also still in cinemas. And he's on something that you can see on Netflix called Always Be My Maybe, which is a rom-com. And he plays a really twisted version of himself (laughs) in it. You know, and they're all, I think, in their own way, uh, pretty, pretty wonderful. And it's so it's so great to enjoy him in these films. Yeah, he just brings so much goodwill to a part. And, uh, you know, even, you know, we talked about the fact that he had a bit of a career slump, let's say around the time of the millennium, like the, the, you know, the 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 two Matrix sequels did not go over all that well. And then there was a string of, of sort of big budget flops and uh you know and and some fairly uh unsubstantial sort of lower budget films and and uh and and it almost seemed like maybe he wasn't that interested in his career like he didn't he didn't need to work for the money so he could just kind of do projects when he needed to and go off ride ride motorcycles ride motorcycles surf Mm -hmm. you know hang out in hawaii which is where his name comes from um and and all that kind of stuff and uh and and you know really wasn't that interested in maintaining fame or being in the zeitgeist or whatever um and just uh you know and and avoiding the public eye in what however mysterious way he does it somehow he's able to kind of dodge uh you know uh paparazzi and and stay out of the the tabloids and and uh, and everybody's okay with that. Yeah, and I, when he does show up on the internet in these memes or videos or whatever, it's usually he's doing something very graceful, gracious. He seems to be a genuinely nice guy. Uh, no one can really say a bad word about him. Uh, he was recently on Colbert Report, or, or I should say Late Night with Stephen Colbert is now what it's called. Yes. And uh, he said something that everyone was like ooing and aahing about. Like, uh, And I would encourage people to go look for this stuff because it is actually super charming. Uh, but, you know, I, it's hard to believe that at one time he was his uh, generation's greatest period actor <laughs> for like two or three years. He was in Dangerous Liaisons. That's he right. was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And he was in a, the Shakespearean adaptation with Kenneth Brown. Much Ado About much Nothing. Much Ado About Nothing. And I kept thinking to myself, is there anything about this character that this guy who seems like he's not <laughs> contemporary? Like, it's, it's strange. I feel like Winona Ryder, who he's made four films with, has kind of had a parallel career where she was often in in corsets at one time in her career. And I kept thinking to myself, I don't look at her and think of her as anything but, you know, present day. And it, and she, yet she was doing all these period films. So Both in Dracula. Yeah, both in Dracula, of course. So it's just, it's an odd career, but full marks to him for just continuing, doing what he loves, and then finding his audience at these different periods through his his uh, his professional life. Weird local connection. I mean, it's not really a local connection, but the character that he plays in Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, which he got a lot of grief for at the time. And I think if you go back and watch that film, it, it's, it's not as bad as you've heard or you might think or you might remember. But uh, the character he plays in the Coppola version, the version of that character in the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi was played by David Manners, who's an actor originally from Halifax. So there you go. That's my tangential local (laughs) connection for this week. Way to reach, Stephen. Yes, definitely a reach. (laughs) So, yeah, so he's in cinemas now in Toy Story 4. This is the return after many years. The first Toy Story was 1995. um, And uh, it is a return to, of course, Buzz Lightyear and Woody. And it's 
it's structurally, I felt very similar to the others. I think there's a little bit of franchise fatigue now starting to set in with these uh, these stories. But the characters are so vivid and we feel so much for them that uh, being a fan of the previous three movies, I really did find a lot to enjoy here, including Keanu playing uh, Duke Kaboom, the 1970s (laughs) Canadian stunt riding toy with a major insecurity complex. He is quite funny in this. Uh, There's a lot of great supporting cast. Uh, Christina Hendricks is Gabby Gabby, a vintage doll with a cadre of creepy ventriloquist dummy bodyguards and Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. Um, uh, There is, a, of course, a frenetic midsection kind of chase thing that is typical. Woody trying to save a random toy while Buzz tries to save Woody. It's all part of that element. I think that's the element that's starting to feel a little repetitious, but overall, I had a, quite a, a good time at Toy Story 4, and uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, I think that if you like the other three, I think there's plenty to enjoy here. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I get what you say about the fatigue. It's like, oh, great, another rescue mission, and uh, but but the fact that it involves creepy ventriloquist dolls is a big plus for me, because I love movies with creepy oh, dolls, yeah. and <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of funny that on that same weekend, we had three movies with creepy dolls open. We had Anna, Annabella Comes Home, the fourth ver- the fourth installment in the Annabella the the conjuring doll oh, saga oh yeah yeah right um which in real life if you want to call it that was actually just a plain old raggedy ann doll but they made it a creepy doll for the movie so it actually looks creepy which kind of is like well maybe it's creepier if it doesn't actually look creepy right from the get go mm. uh, and also the reboot of Child's Play with uh, the Chucky doll Chucky, uh, now voiced right. by Mark Hamill instead of uh, Brad Dourif and uh, and so all three creepy doll movies open on the same weekend and obviously Toy Story was going to be the one that that uh, conquered them all, but I, I I do like those kind of weird lumbering ventriloquist dummies who don't actually talk uh, because of course they're dummies mm. um, th- throughout the, uh, the 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 back mazes and passageways of this uh, creepy antique store, which is where they hang out as uh, Gabby Gabby's uh, henchmen, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, the, the part, I mean, not, not everything in this film worked for me. I mean, Keanu is, Duke Kaboom is great because I had an evil, Knie- actually, I still have it, I think, somewhere. Uh, an evil Knievel doll, which is obviously what he's based on, complete with the motorcycle that, you know, you put it in the little plastic launcher and you grind, you know, you turn the wheel, it gets the sort of, um, what are they, there's a term, it's like a, not magnetized, but kind of like um, a momentum, mach- you know, machine within the thing, the wheels that kind of, Friction motor, that's what it's called. They, they get the friction motor going in the bike and then you press the launch button and it takes off and goes over a jump or whatever. And they make good use of that in the film. Uh, the whole thing with Forky, I, th- the reasons why uh, they kept having to save Forky seemed kind of spurious to me. Well, that I think was like, it I, turned out that Forky was just a MacGuffin for Woody, really. Pretty to, much, To yeah. give Woody some character uh, realization. And as as standing on his own, I didn't think Forky was at all successful as a, as no, a character that you all. wind up caring about. Uh, so that was a problem. But I did, I really thought that it was great to have Bo Peep back. Annie Potts, of course, a wonderful. Who's fantastic. And yeah, and, yeah, and of course, now she's like uh, basically uh, Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road, which I thought was great. Yeah. Um, you know, these you know, most of these references are going to go way over the 
the heads of the kids that are watching it. But I but I did enjoy the fact that she's basically turned into like a Mad Max type version of herself and, you know, roaring through the wasteland of the, the playground in a in a motorized skunk. Uh, <laughs> I just I thought that was pretty brilliant. So yeah, it, it, it's definitely a film where I had to weigh the pluses against the minuses, but you know the pluses won in the end. And uh, yeah, and Keanu doesn't often get to uh, dig into his inner Canadianness. That's I right. I guess so. Yeah. So he, you know, but he grew up in Toronto and certainly uh, knows all those uh, Canadian stereotypes, and he's able to kind of. Uh, kind of dig into them with gusto playing this this vaguely Quebecois stuntman bike rider guy um, with the you know with a lot of the Canadian kind of uh, feelings of inadequacy and so on um, I'm trying to think if he's ever played a Canadian I, I, I'm sure he must have it in some yeah independent oh, production oh, you know what the um, one of the films I saw young blood early oh, early that's in his right. career yes. where that was Swayze play, play with Swayze yes. yeah where of course the two of them would work together later <laughs> much in more point, successfully point break yeah indeed um, but uh, yeah it, it also yeah he's he's charming in this and it's it's great to to see him, you know, in this kind of a part for sure. But he has been so good in supporting roles, and of course, he's got his own franchises. Uh, I, it, when I was preparing for this chat, I wondered, have we ever talked about John Wick? I mean, I, I kind of amazed that it, it hasn't come up in I some don't think capacity. So. Uh, but yeah, we we've watched the first two of these, and now we've watched the third, directed by Chad Stahelski, former stuntman and who worked with. Uh, Keanu going back, I think, to the Matrix. Yep. Yeah, he Cer- was his stunt double. Yeah, certainly the two of them worked on Constantine, another film I watched for this conversation. Um, now, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum is, again, full of incredible choreography in the fight sequences. I mean, that's why you go to these movies. Uh, I really enjoyed the film for that. However, I did feel like plot-wise, we're starting to feel a little bit like I'm starting to have a hard time sympathizing and being behind uh, and empathizing with John Wick's problems because he's basically just doubling down on all his mistakes and yeah, having to kill point, more yes. and more people. And, you know, it's that's, of course, what the film is about. But in that first movie, he was really driven in a way that really, I think, captured our hearts. And at this point, we're starting to feel like Dude, you're just you're just making things worse for yourself. And, it, you know, and it, I, I think and I've, I've heard the director talk about how that this isn't a happy ending kind of movie or a happy ending kind of franchise that once you're stuck in this world, you're going to continue to be stuck in this world. And I, I kind of get that. And I appreciate the universe building that's going on. But there's a lot of stuff here that kind of bugged me. You know, he, Wick goes looking for help from a mentor. Angelica Houston is great. Uh, but eventually he has to do a task in order to sort of clear clear his his name and he doesn't do it and he seems okay with that and then there is a double cross and a double double <laughs> triple cross and then you're just like well what Real snowball <laughs> what who, who can you possibly want to root for at this point um yeah so i mean while i still enjoyed all of that physical mechanics that has these incredibly talented uh performers fighting each other i felt like the plot is now kind of going up its own butt a little bit. Yeah, it is kind of eating its own tail. And of course, we do know that there's going to be a fourth one. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty blatantly obvious from the end of, of three that there's a four in the wind. And I've heard that there may be more beyond that, that it's not that there may actually go five movies in the saga. And I'm kind of thinking that might, I mean, I, I feel like four might be one too many, let alone a fifth. But uh, 
you know, the, the, certainly the visceral thrills of watching Keanu Reeves just kill a bunch of people in a bunch of different ways, uh, still, uh, still has that charge, but, uh, but it's, you know, the, the innovation is, 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 is running out on uh-huh. this, uh, this series, I think, uh, you know, and at one point it's like the story, he winds up in Morocco, I think, or you yeah, know, the, that's the Sahara right. anyway, with, um, Halle Berry. And I'm thinking, well, if you can get to the, if you can get there, like, couldn't he just go off the map somehow? Like, couldn't he just vanish somewhere else? Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess the whole idea is that this is not reality. This is like a mythical version of our, uh, of earth where every half the people on earth are assassins. Uh, so I guess there is no place to hide, I suppose, in that sense, you know, that the, they all seem pretty well connected. And, you know, once the bounty goes up, everybody in the world seems to know about it simultaneously and all that kind of thing. But, you know, when he goes to Morocco, I'm thinking, well, you know, surely he could figure out if you can get there, surely he can figure out without, you know, being spotted. Surely there's a way that he can, you know, duck out of sight completely but i guess because he'd left his dog at the hotel he had to get back and, and get that dog so. yeah and of course the, the the dog the dog game the, these movies dog game is very it's it's part of what we love about them i guess or it, the thing that kind of roots us in it but uh, i i want to take this opportunity to really point at one of the things that Keanu has been able to do over the years he's in his 50s now and he's still got this incredible grace as a performer and i think that's something that people maybe don't talk about enough the fact is that he's been an action star for most of that time still doing doing small independent projects, but his big movies have largely been action movies. And he has been able to maintain this plausibility as uh, a guy who hand-to-hand combat with these incredibly skilled uh, fighters, um, many of whom are much younger than he is. And he's able to do it. I mean, many times it seems like he's getting his butt totally kicked, but he still manages to find a way to win. And uh, in that way, it sort of reminds me of, uh, you know, some great, almost like a great sporting event where, you know, the, the underdog still, you know, grits grinds through it and makes it <laughs> makes it happen and and uh, it's 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 that that is one of the things i do enjoy about these movies well it, it's certainly a lot of fun to see him go up against mark Dacascos, who is a martial artist uh, in films who uh, i know best from uh, a great french martial arts film called brotherhood of the wolf um but he's been in a ton of stuff he's i, I don't know if he's in the american ninja series or 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 some of those sort of canon Golden Globus uh, kind of late entry uh, martial arts films. But, you know, he's got a lot of personality. He plays like this, the sushi chef who's also, he's a big fan of John Wick. So he like, he considers it a big honor to be able to go up against him, which I just think is a fun little twist and yeah. that he's just, he's really enjoying it, uh, you know, being able to fight John Wick until, of course, he doesn't enjoy it anymore. So, uh, spoiler alert. Um, and, uh, and And, of course, that's a fight scene that goes on late in the film, obviously, because this guy's been tracking him for, for much of the movie. Uh, and in my mind, maybe goes on a little too long. Yeah, I'm with you there. But, uh, and it's not nearly as innovative as some of the fights early on in the film. Like the one in the library where he takes a guy out with books. That's amazing. Which is terrific. And the, the knife fight. The one, yeah, favorite. which comes immediately afterward. And that is incredible where they're just like busting open cases of weapons and throwing things at each other. And, you know, and, and, you know, doing serious damage along the way. And that, that scene is, is to me felt innovative. And I felt that maybe they should have tried and carried that through a little bit more. Um, but it certainly gets the film off to a roaring start. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, now he's also our friend Keanu, as we now call him, I think (laughs) most people, because it's, I mean, there's maybe many Reeves, but there feels like there are very few Keanu's, uh, is also in Always Be My Maybe, a uh, romantic comedy now on Netflix. And it is a 
entirely the cast is entirely asian actors asian americans um and it's a it's a quite a wonderful film ali wong and randall park are the leads a childhood friends who lost you know their virginity with each other and then their friendship was soured and then years later they reconnect when sasha is a celebrity chef while marcus still lives with his dad and installs air conditioning and drives a 25 year old corolla um and all of this stuff happens oh and he sings in a band called hello peril which is actually pretty awful but everyone in the movie seems to think it's great i didn't i didn't i wasn't that into it they're very bare naked ladies indeed uh and uh, what happens is keanu shows up uh, geez, I guess around uh, halfway in, playing himself as someone who Ali Wong's character is dating, and he's very much the sort of stoner jerk version of himself. <laughs> yes. uh, and it's it's, but he does hang around for for a couple of scenes and really makes his mark in this film in a way that I think capitalizes on all of the his current um, sort of celebrity tabloidy presence in in popular culture uh, in a way that's very tongue in cheek and really one of the highlights of a film, which I think is otherwise pretty charming. I like to think that he maybe helped contribute to that shaping of his character, so to speak, since he's playing himself. But uh, those those scenes are probably the comedic highlight of the film. I mean, it's very funny all the way through. I, I like... Uh, you know, I like Randall Park a lot. Whenever he shows up in a project, he he's he's always funny and 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 has great timing. And and uh, Ali Wong, I don't think I'd seen I've seen her stand up. Uh, there's one I think called Baby Cobra, and there's a, there's another newer stand up special on Netflix. And I like her stand up quite a bit. It's very very biting and 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 very raw and very personal. Um, so it didn't surprise me that I liked her. You know, playing a character in this, and I, I really hope to see more of her in uh, in comedic and dramatic roles. Uh, and and then uh, you know. But there is kind of a, this heightened kind of sense of, you know, they're in San Francisco, so they kind of plays up the the trendiness and the hipness of San Francisco gets played up, especially when one of the characters is like a celebrity chef and the other one is someone who's just lived there their whole lives. And, um, you know, because I always think of that as a hard environment to kind of break into and live in and so on. Uh, so I like that aspect of it. And uh, and Randall Park just seems to know how to push all of his buttons, all of Keanu's buttons in their scenes together in the restaurant and later back in his hotel suite. Like he just, uh, you know, his character has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, which is part of the problem in his ongoing relationship with his former best friend, uh, you know, played by Ali Wong. So, uh, you know, when she sees him, when he sees her dating Keanu, he gets jealous and then his inner jerk face comes out and just can't help but but get him riled up. And it's 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 kind of fun to watch him lose his cool. Like Keanu, mm-hmm. I mean, um, in such a hilarious way that almost feels true. Obviously, it's exaggerated, but but he just does it. It's just a, such a note perfect uh, larger than life version of himself, and which is why it works so well. So Keanu Reeves got his start in television and made a lot of, uh, you know, Canadian, did some Canadian work before he went off to Hollywood. Uh, he got a break as a supporting character in a film called Youngblood, a uh, Canadian hockey movie, basically. Very cheesy, surprisingly entertaining. Uh, shot in Hamilton, Toronto, and Minnesota with Rob Lowe in the lead as a 17-year-old American named Dean Youngblood, who comes up to Canada to play on a Hamilton minor league team. The team captain is played by Patrick Swayze, and the coach is uh, character actor Ed Lauder. Or Lautner? Lauder? Um, Ed Lauder, yeah, yeah, he's a great character actor. Yeah, amazing. Also on board, Cynthia Gibb, who uh, people of a certain age will recall as a, a frequent 80s uh, actor. And uh, it's pretty big, it's predictable, lots of sports movie stuff, 
And I would say there's a little bit of that sort of toxic masculinity in here, certainly. But uh, it's not a bad coming-of-age movie. I enjoyed all the Canadiana, Lotto 649 signs, Loblaws <laughs> ads, and the Dalbello posters. Oh, yeah. Dalbello, nice. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, but, and of course, Swayze and Reeves, if you're a big fan of a Point Break, you might want to check it out, because, of course, they would show up together much more prominently in that film. Uh, now, he went almost directly from Youngblood into one of his first leading parts in the river's edge uh and you know uh, watching that again i remember how harrowing it seemed to me when i first saw it as a teenager uh in the late late 80s but in a question the question i had watching it again in a movie like this does crispin glover's weird overacting benefit the movie because he's playing an idiot who wants to assert control over a bad situation or is it just a terrible performance (laughs) i had a really hard time with him in this movie what do you think Stephen? Well, it's funny because he's less weird than he would become. And right. So right. It, it, is, it, it is odd to go back and watch this film after so many years and see how his character is. It's, you know, very crisp and glover. But when you think about some of the roles he would go on to play in later films, he's kind of dialed it back a bit compared to what comes next. I, I still kind of enjoy the the film. Uh, or, or, I mean, sorry, his performance. I definitely enjoy the film. But, um, you know, like just seeing him you know, pounding on Den- Dennis Hopper's door, you know, thick, thick, <laughs> you know, which is, I, uh, I remember going to see this with friends of mine and we would, you know, whenever we'd knock on each other's door, that's, we'd just imitate Crispin Glover and <laughs> Rivers Edge. I had a real tight connection to this film. And, um, you know, of course everyone had a crush on Ioni Sky. Sure. Um, who is, who's great here actually. Yeah. You know, she's, she's, you know, it's aside from, from, you know, being very attractive, she's, she turns in a great performance. Uh, and, uh, you know, you kind of wish that there was more of her out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's in a handful of things. Um, I believe Say Anything was also yep. uh, her another major role for her. And then, you know, she obviously found other priorities in life. So. Yeah, I remember her in um, The Rachel Papers, which uh, which is a British sort of coming of age film. Also pretty great. But uh, but yeah, please continue. You were saying. Well, yeah, I mean. Crispin Glover is obviously the most outsized performance in this, and in fact, Dennis Hopper seemed rather understated compared. Yeah, comparatively, just saying something because I think I think I may have seen this right before Blue Velvet. I think uh, I'm trying to remember what order they came out in, and 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 Hopper, um, you know, here is, uh, you know, he, he's very touching as this this kind of wounded guy who. Uh, I think he's a Vietnam vet, but he was also like a biker. He's fallen in love stuff. with us with a sex doll, <laughs> yes. pretty much. You know, he has this one. Yeah, he has the fixation on an inflatable doll. Um, you know, but otherwise is fine. Even though he always waves a gun around. Yeah. To, you know, as punctuation and everything like that. And uh, you know, I, I, I just uh, for the most part really sort of felt in like this was a, you're really in with this group of kids from kind of struggling middle-class families, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, um, you know, Keanu's warring with his, his, his mom, who's, who's fine with him smoking dope, but, but, you know, has all these other rules for him to follow and, and has a really kind of grouchy stepdad, Uh um, or or his his mom's boyfriend. Anyway, I don't know that he's a full-fledged stepdad, but, you know, so he's trying to be in this guy's trying to be an authority figure, even though, you know, Reeves' character doesn't identify his yeah. authority at all. And he's got like a 12-year-old brother who's really like a hard-ass kid who's very tough and very... Yeah, really damaged. Really damaged. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically it's a story of like, you know, the lost generation, a bunch of teenagers lacking empathy when one of their crew kills his girlfriend at the river's edge and then goes around and tells everybody, I killed 
Jamie. And so they all go down to see the body, and only a few of them really react as you'd hope someone would react in a circumstance like that, which is be appalled, horrified, and then go and tell the authorities. You know, they it's a question of loyalty in a place where your friends are all you've got because your parental units are not giving you much of a model for for a good way to go through life and all they and they don't feel like they have any hope or anything and uh and so you know you you kind of feel for them in some ways because they are so damaged but at the same time Keanu is uh is a sort of standout character as someone who really understands right away that this is wrong but he doesn't actually do anything right away. It takes him a little while. But when he does, of course, more trouble comes because the cops are, well, the cops are problematic as well. There's a lot of things going on here. There's a lot of nihilism here. and There's a lot of darkness. And I like some of that. I felt some of it was a bit of a pose. Um, Ione Skye's character has kind of got this thing for her teacher at school. And he's not great. He, no, he's very he, he's, over the top. Yeah, a certain. I think there's a bit of a pose here. He's very self-righteous. And I just found him problematic. And I think, I think here with some of the young actors, some of the performances brings the film down a little bit. But overall, I think Reeves is a high point. If you're a fan of his, you should seek it out. It's funny. I look on the river's edge as the proto grunge movie because it's just, I feel like this film dictated the style that was everyone in Seattle would be wearing about three or four years yeah, later. You're right. The plaid. Um, yeah. The, the, yeah. the plaid jackets and, and lots and, of metal and, and exactly. And, uh, the, uh, you know, torn jeans and everything. And, uh, you know, the soundtrack, there's a lot of Slayer, like a lot of early Slayer on the soundtrack. And, uh, um, just you know, heavy rock that would that almost sounds like it's where Soundgarden is going to come from and Pearl Jam and so on. Just uh, you know, five or six years down the pike. So I feel like in some ways it's kind of ahead of its time because you know the way the kids act does not feel dated. Um, you know, the fact that they're all a little dead inside. Um, you know, maybe that's what <laughs> makes this film feel fresh, which is kind of a sad commentary, I suppose. But, uh, you know, certain obviously certain aspects of this, you know, in terms of style and so on, um, you know, definitely show their age. But at the same time, I think that uh, a lot of it still feels pretty fresh. Um, and uh, yeah, Tim Hunter, uh, oddly enough, you know, having having uh, Dennis Hopper in there, just, you know, your brain goes to Blue Velvet and David Lynch and Tim Hunter would go on to work with Lynch on uh, Twin Peaks and direct episodes of that oh, yeah. show. And, and, you know, he made, I think he made a couple more theatrical films, but he really, after, this was more of a calling card for series television and especially like, um, you know, quality shows like... I, I, off the top of my head, I'm, I feel like maybe he directed episodes of The Wire. Don't, okay. quote, don't quote me on that. But it, but he went on to work on on some pretty uh, high echelon TV oh. series, maybe even Sopranos. I, this is all from my brain. I don't yeah. know that it's correct, but but certainly films of that uh, of that kind of caliber. And uh, you know, you can you can see that Nick Gomez is another director from around the same time. Made a great film called Laws of Gravity, and then uh, New Jersey Drive, and then wound up doing a lot of great work in television and in cable series and that kind of thing. So it's 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 kind of like the indie school, indie film school, uh, uh, you know, uh, refresher course yeah, or something sure. to watch these films. And you know, like I say, these guys. Didn't go on to work a lot in feature films, but but uh, they certainly made their mark with some good early ones that kept them working steadily up to the present day. Um, and f oddly enough, uh, not too long after that, he played, you know, it's almost like the flip side of that character, uh, Keanu played in, in Parenthood. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, I feel, uh, and we're not really going to talk about that in any great detail, but it was a Ron Howard comedy uh, Starring, I think, was it Steve Martin. Yep. Starring yep, Steve that? Martin um, and uh, Mary Steenburgen. And, and uh, we, I, you know, I'm, I'm going by memory here, but it, his character there, 
uh, he's very good in that film. And I feel like it's it's a variation on his character uh, in River's Edge if he'd grown up in a more secure household, perhaps. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he still still has a bit of that youthful stoner kind of vibe about him, which uh, served him well in those early years. But of course, he's certain, certainly gotten beyond uh, in more recent times. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I like Parented. I, th- I don't think it's aged as well. Most people probably remember the TV series that was spawned from it. Um, but uh, Reeves kept getting these great roles. And of course, I think in some ways he'll always be associated with Bill and Ted because the stoner guy, he kind of perfected in those films. And uh, they're they're still pretty delightful. I went to actually, when I visited, little sidebar here, when I visited, uh, I think, Universal Studios theme park in Los Angeles, they had a Bill and Ted like ride. Wow. Even, and this was like in 2012. So I sort of feel like um, they were planning this like resurgence because they're making a third one after so many years, middle-aged Bill and Ted uh, coming soon. And where they face the music, as you mentioned the title of it. So, you know, it's, it's, Keanu has been associated with that kind of that kind of stoner dude in so many movies, and I think in some ways had to overcome that in future films. And I think he's done a pretty great job because if you really look at his body of work, it is remarkable the different kind of characters he's played, and some of them have been really nice fits, and other of them have been a bit of a stretch. But he's he's gone for it, and full credit to him for trying things. Um, I saw him in my own private Idaho, which I hadn't seen in so many years, named after, of course, this movie named after the B-52 song. And uh, this might be River Phoenix's best role. And Keanu matches him beat for beat. It's set in Portland's hustler community, young men who sell their bodies for money. Uh, River is Mike, who has narcolepsy, keeps falling asleep in moments of stress. It makes him especially vulnerable. But uh, his best friend is Scott, played by Reeves, who comes to his... uh, his rescue in a lot of ways, but Scott is about to come into his inheritance, so his whole life is about to change. So he's cocky and confident, um, and uh, in comparison to a lot of the punks that they hang around with, uh, and uh, it is a uh, it is a really interesting film. You know, Gus Van Zant. There's this mock sort of Shakespearean tone to some of it, and it becomes a road picture in the second half uh, as Mike searches for his mother. It's all very deeply felt, gorgeous to look at. There's an amazing Criterion Collection uh, edition of it that I'd really recommend. Um, and I remember at the time there was a lot of controversy because at the time if if straight actors play gay parts, it wasn't necessarily something you saw a lot of. It's way before Brokeback Mountain. And uh, and this was, was you know, pretty pretty controversial in some camps. And I remember, though, it's, I mean, it still stands up as a, as a really interesting film. Yeah, in my mind, I feel like this and Philadelphia were around the same time. And, yeah, they weren't far know, from each other, a couple I, of years. I think Philadelphia caused a bit more of a, of a ruckus because it, it did have the, the AIDS crisis as part of its subtext. And, and some people thought that that part should have been played. The, the Tom Hanks part should have been played by a gay actor and 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 so on and and, and maybe maybe because Philadelphia wasn't as good a movie maybe people got more upset about it I don't know because my own private Idaho is is a very good movie and yeah. uh, well Philadelphia and, and also earned holds some, up a little well some Oscar nods that's and it true. was much more mainstream yes whereas my own private Idaho was about basically you know young men selling their bodies on the streets of Portland it was pretty you know risque stuff I guess to some some audiences that might have been quite shocked by that. Yeah, and, and because it had a gay director, Gus Van Sant, you know, and he needed some bankable stars to get funding. So, you know, I, I guess it, it makes a little more sense in that case. But um, 
it was a yeah, 1999 or 1991 rather was kind of a banner year, all things considered for Canada because he's able to kind of take on some serious, critically acclaimed roles. Uh, My own private Idaho, and then uh, he was also in Point Break, which was a big box office hit, a really great action-packed crime thriller uh, about surf dudes who also hold up banks. <laughs> Catherine Bigelow. Yes, Amazing. directed by Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. And also the uh, the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out that year. So he basically got to do kind of his his stoner dude, his action guy, and his kind of, you know, more uh, established acting chops all within the space of one year. And uh, that's kind of like the, the year where like he just... Uh, Everything kind of clicked, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. Something else that people may not be aware about Keanu Reeves is that uh, compared to other main leading actors, he has done many, many more films with female filmmakers than your average leading man. Uh, I don't know what the ratio is, but it's much higher than I remember seeing on the internet not long ago a list of all the films that Keanu had made with female filmmakers, and it was there were plenty. There were, I mean, he's he's done maybe a couple dozen, which. I think in even in 30 years, that's saying something uh, compared to your your Tom Cruise's and your maybe, you know, some of these other high profile actors. So, you know, I think that's more uh, credit to him for oh, should, making those choosing those projects. I should point out in 1991, he was also the star of Paula Abdul's Rush Rush video. Oh, I remember that video <laughs> where they recreate Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, totally. I totally remember that. I'm going to watch that on YouTube as soon as I get home. I think. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the 90s, you know, he was in Speed. Of course, the Matrix films, as we mentioned. Uh, and then he had that lull. Uh, I dug out. Constantine from 2005, so shooting forward in time a little bit. And I remember I was reluctant to watch it again because being a fan of the comic books that it's based on, the DC comics books, Hellblazer, and of course having read Swamp Thing, Alan Moore's comics where he was introduced as a British sort of uh, you know, street punky kind of detective mystic. Uh, he uh, who's supposed to look like Sting. And that was kind of the joke originally. He was supposed to look like Sting. Uh, I could not picture Keanu Reeves in this role. They made him American. They put him in Los Angeles. And for me, that kind of spoiled the film in some ways. I just couldn't get past the idea of Keanu Reeves in this role. And I just kind of shrugged at it when I first saw it. Watching it again, uh, I think I was able to enjoy the film a bit more. It's it is. It's directed by Francis Lawrence, who went on to have success with the Hunger Games film. And the, the tone is really interesting. You know, you get a sense of something's terrible coming. It's it's kind of a big budget horror action movie. And it has this amazing supporting cast, including Rachel Weisz, Jimon Hunsu, Pruitt Taylor Vince, Peter Stormare, and in uh, the amazing yes. Tilda Swinton as the Angel Gabriel. Uh, a little less interesting, perhaps, is Gavin Rossdale also playing kind <laughs> of a supernatural character. But it's 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 sort of borderline really creepy in ways that surprised me about such a mainstream film. Uh, and it's visually really impressive. And, you know, Keanu is fine, provided you forget that he's <laughs> how the, the liberties they've taken with the original character. Yeah, th- my feeling about that is that uh, they made a pretty good film around him in that case. And, and, and he does what he can with the character, but it's just hard to shake that inner prejudice that, you know, that a, a dark haired Canadian American uh, playing a blonde Brit, you know, sort of semi cockney or whatever, uh, just, you know, just it seems so wrong. Like yeah. it just, it took, uh, yeah, I, I really, that I agree. I, uh, this time I think maybe I just gotten over it is what happened. Yeah. I, I, I think, I mean, it was, you know, bad casting. 
and, and but you know he does what he can with the part and uh you know he, he he's totally like he's totally into the concept he's committed to what he's doing it's just that he's not the right guy for the job but uh you know and i think uh, what if they'd had like layer cake era daniel craig oh man as constantine you know just how amazing that would yeah, have been he, he, layer cake i think came out around 2000 yeah around that time so that would have been perfect yeah you know that's obviously but that's you know that's another universe yeah so yeah and who knows i mean they've they tried a tv series with that character it, i don't think it went that well but who knows maybe in the future they'll try it once again with the right kind of actor in in the role but you know and again well Daniel Craig's gonna have some free time coming yeah, up. There you go. <laughs> fairly shortly once he's <laughs> if finished. He, if he if he lives seven. if he lives through That's this right. next yes. uh, James Bond movie, which of course we're hearing has had had a lot of problems. So let's just take a look at the films from the millennium. Uh, you know, The Matrix was 1999, and uh, they partied like it was, uh, and that was 1999. So that, obviously that film was a huge hit, and Keanu, you know, could write his ticket. And then he goes on to be in films like The Replacements, which I think was a football comedy. Um, the not that bad Sam Raimi psychic thriller, The Gift. Yeah, I remember with that. With Kate Blanchett. That yeah. might be one of the, the better films of that period. Um, you know, the tragic love story, Sweet November. Um, and then uh, The Matrix Reloaded in 2003 and The Matrix Revolutions later that same year. Um, you know, which... You know, had a huge amount of hype, and then everybody saw them and kind of went, "What went wrong?" And it's not his fault. It's you know, the Wachowskis just seem to, you know, take this mythology in a way in a place that people didn't seem to want to go. I guess. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 like I say, I haven't revisited those films since I saw them in the theater. Having just rewatched The Matrix for this show, which I for the ninety nine nine episode, yeah, yeah. Well, I rewatched it for this one too, just to, oh, okay, to sure. get my uh, bearings on it, and I really enjoyed it. I, I mm. you know, I think the effects still look great. The action scenes are still amazing. Um, you know, maybe because they were doing a lot of this stuff for the first time, it feels fresh when they do it in this film. Um, but, but yeah, those didn't recharge his career. So then we get films, the Ellie Parker, the Constantine we talked about. Um, the Lake House, Street Kings, uh, an unnecessary remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely unnecessary. The Private Lives of Pippa Lee. Uh, Henry's Crime. I don't. None of these are ringing a bell. 40, Pippa Lee, I saw it. Was all 40, right, actually. Forty-seven Ronan, I vaguely remember, but mm-hmm. but it was you know it was he was kind of coasting and and seemed to be okay with that. Yeah, he, um, was, he was doing smaller parts in smaller films. Yeah, you saw Scanner Darkly, the second uh, Richard Linklater uh, rotoscope film. Yeah, it's it doesn't, re- I mean, it's gorgeous to look at and it's great to see him with uh, Woody Harrelson, Robert Downey Jr. and Winona Ryder all together. They're great, uh, but the film doesn't have a lot of forward momentum. I found it was kind of narratively pretty inert, uh, but it has plenty to look at. It's a gorgeous looking film, the adaptation of a Philip K. Dick story. Uh, but I, I don't think I could recommend that one. Um, but I did watch something from later, which is Side by Side, which is a documentary from 2012 about uh, the struggle of film versus digital with supporters from both sides arguing their case. Interesting documentary. Keanu Reeves produced it and uh, is basically the, the lead interviewer. And it really shows that 
Keanu would want to produce and host a project like this, it shows that he has a lot of curiosity about the, the medium that he's working in. It's not just about acting for him. He's actually interested in the process. And I think that uh, I learned a lot from watching this film. They talk a lot about cameras and the development of digital cameras through the years and how they changed the films that they were used to shoot. Um, of course, Scorsese, Fincher, Nolan are all interviewed as well as their amazing uh, collaborators, cinematographers. Uh, it's really worth seeing if you can find it. I think it's online. Uh, I Yeah, so so uh, side by side, that's that that film. Um, now you and I sought something out that is now uh, available on Netflix. It's a 2017 film that Keanu Reeves is a supporting character in. Uh, the first feature from Marty Noxon, whose name I've always associated with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but she was also creator of Sharp Objects, the noirish recent HBO drama with Amy Adams, um, and. Uh, yeah, this is a story about a woman played by Lily Collins, uh, who looks like she really lost a lot of weight for the role. Collins, uh, who I uh, can't help but think of as like, she's Phil Collins' daughter, but she I can't really picture him and her being connected at all, except for their surnames. <laughs> um, and she is, it's about anorexia. So or Rexy, as she calls it, uh, she has an absent mother, Lily Taylor, who is now in a relationship with Brooke Smith. Always good to see both of those actors and a totally absent father and a goofy stepmother played by Carrie Preston, who I also connect with uh, True Blood. Um, and uh, she goes into sort of a uh, an inpatient care facility with a bunch of other young women and one guy played by Alex Sharp, who is a British actor who I'm seeing around in a lot these days. And uh, they're a pretty solid ensemble. And Keanu plays their doctor, which is a great supporting part for him. And uh, he has a little bit of gravitas which I think comes with his age, like the guy, you know, when this was made, he's he's in his 50s now. And uh, it's quite surprising how good he is in this in this kind of a role, which we, you know, in a mentorship sort of role, which is not something I think we think of Keanu Reeves for. But he's very good in it. Um, the film. Well, I didn't really love it. I found there were parts that just. It, in its best parts, it reminded me of Short Term 12, which is a film I really like. Uh, it is The parts I didn't like, it was a little too much Disease of the Week for me with some cliches uh, that I don't think it overcomes. But uh, the likable cast really helps. And uh, and the great uh, protagonist, uh, Lily uh, um, Collins, is, is very good in it. So, uh, yeah, what did you think, Stephen? I liked it quite a bit. I, I felt... It wraps things up a little too pat. Uh, like clearly, this problem is going to have this uh, character is going to have problems going forward through her entire life. But uh, you know, and I, I feel like it tries to tie things up with a bit of a neat bow, which is not the way that these stories should end. But I, I thought the writing was good. I mean, Noxon is is a great writer, and 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 really, you know, is able to bring characters to life with humor and and sort of interesting aspects to them. And I felt that that was the case here. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I felt it was kind of like a eating disorder version of Girl Interrupted on some yeah, level. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can see um, that. But uh, but it's better than that. But uh, but it, it's worth watching for for those performances. And and yeah, Kian is great as as the doctor who's he's trying to be a no BS kind of guy. He's 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 trying to relate to his his patients, but at the same time be realistic with them. And she kind of sees through him, you know, through his kind of, not that he's got a hip routine or anything like that, but she, she kind of sees him for what he is pretty much right off the bat. And I uh, like the rapport between them over the course of the film. You know, she, I mean, she creates a lot of her own problems, of course. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, has to pay certain prices for it, but, uh, but it's worth, it's worth watching it. It's fairly, it goes by fairly quickly. And uh, I think it's, uh, 
it's what under like an hour and 40 minutes or something, yeah, something like that. Yeah. But it, yeah. It, it's, it's on Netflix. You might have to look, search a bit to find it, but, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that I did. Yeah, no, it's, it is fine. I think if you're a Canon fan, by all means, um, I will say that again, working, he's working with a female filmmaker, which is terrific. Uh, one thing without trying to be too spoilery about it, but, uh, generally a film wherein, uh, a character's dealing with some kind of addiction and they have a spiritual revelation and then the movie ends just as the hard work is about to begin. Yes. That's a problem for me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what I mean. Like it just, it yeah. seems like there, there might be more story to tell, but it, it leaves you with the impression that everything's going to be fine when you yeah. know that it probably isn't. Yeah. And, uh, so um, that's false hope, I guess, or something. But, uh, also available now on Netflix is the bad batch, which I saw in Toronto at TIFF, uh, a few years back written and directed by Anna Lily Amirpour, who's Previous, I think, first film is the dreamy black and white vampire picture, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was amazing. Uh, shot in California with all her actors speaking Persian. Um, <laughs> a very stylistic statement from a Jarmusch-esque filmmaker. And this follow-up, although it's in English with a little bit of Spanish and in color, is no less an exercise in form. It rambles. It Running time might stymie some. It's a bit long. But I enjoyed sort of a punky desert set dystopia. Stars Suki Waterhouse as an ex-con in this near future land, one of the titular bad batch persona non grata in civilized society out in the wasteland. She encounters two separate societies, her fellow bachelors who spend their days working out and eating anyone who interlopes. There's definitely a, a pretty grim cannibalistic uh, edge to this. Yeah, very uh, hills have eyes kind of feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there, that, that group includes Cuban tough guy, Miami man played by Jason Momoa. Uh, and his daughter, Honey, played by Jada Fink. And a little further in the desert is Comfort, where uh, this our lead character is less likely to become anyone's dinner, but it's run by a greasy dude named The Dream, played by Keanu Reeves, actually finally looking a little bit his age in this film, a little less, it's a little less flattering to him as he, he kind of is lit in a way that makes him look slightly queasy. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's interested in growing things other than, than just meat. Uh, and anyway, so there's a lot of, weird stuff going on. There's a wordless wanderer named the Hermit, who apparently is played by Jim Carrey, though I struggled to kind of believe it. It's He's completely unrecognizable. Uh, I, I felt like Mad Max was an antecedent here, but it's not an action movie at all. It's totally a rambling indie with a comedic streak. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought maybe more Tank Girl or Repo Man. Yeah, there's you know, some golf cart chases, yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> even, even a little bit of Touch of Evil in places. I It's gory in places, and I felt like the second act could have used more focus, but I I really sort of enjoyed that the story, it's a story about a, a place where kindness and community overcomes incivility and opposition. And I, I kind of, I liked it thematically. Yeah. It, Mad Max on acid isn't a bad way <laughs> to describe this very uh, dystopian, deserty uh, kind of, well, it's kind of a nightmare really. I mean, you know, and it's, it's, I guess it's the future. Like it's, they're, they're everybody's kind of put into this desert wasteland, uh, presumably for crimes that are never really stated. Um, and, uh, you know, they, the director leaves a kind of amorphous, which, you know, goes along with their previous film, I suppose. But, um, I, I enjoyed it on some level. I feel like the, the her first film got enough attention that she was able to snag people like Keanu and and Jim Carrey and Giovanni Ribisi, who just plays a a, a mad screaming uh, dissenter who just wanders around the community and screams at people uh, and Jason Momoa. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. It's a bit formless, and our our main character doesn't exactly give us a ton to root for her. Um, 
Yeah, it's 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 a hard one to recommend. I mean, mm. I, I didn't regret watching it. Uh, you know, the, it, it's, it's visually gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it, it does have that grain of hope that there is a community that that does actually get by on, you know, the for the, the on one side they just devolve into cannibals, and the other side creates this kind of you know utopia in the desert, as it were. But uh, but but overall, I don't know. It, it left me feeling kind of kind of empty somehow. Mm. Yeah, fair know. enough. But uh, you know, there are some cool performances in it. Uh, Momoa is kind of kind of interesting as, yeah. a, as a character. It's kind of interesting to see him do something other than Aquaman, um, and uh, and you know, play a guy who's initially a villain who kind of comes over to the right side. And, and Keanu's part is very, you know, he, he just kind of spews aphorisms, and he, you know, he's got this kind of a harem that lives with him in this kind of luxury pad that he's managed to somehow carve out for himself in the middle of this desert wasteland. Um, so it's kind of absurd, kind of surreal, uh, and kind of plotless, but gives you lots to look at and, and lots to, to chew on now once it's over. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I thought about maybe mentioning Neon Demon that uh, Keanu is also in, uh, which came out around this time. But I think I'm just going to pass over that. Neon Demon is a is one of those uh, Nicholas Winding Refn films. And if you like him, then there's things to like here. If you don't, there's <laughs> nothing I can do to convince you that this is a film worth seeing. Keanu has a very small part in it. I don't even really know why he's in it. But uh, but one thing I would like to talk about, Stephen, and I'm really interested in hearing what you thought of it, is Destination Wedding, a movie that has terrible reviews. I wound up really liking it, partly, very largely due to the star power of its two leads, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. What did you make of it? It takes a while to warm up to this film, but in the end, I you know because and it, if it had been lesser actors, unrecognizable actors, it probably would not have worked. I totally in agree. any way, shape, yeah. or form because there's a lot of talky dialogue that is hard to imagine actually coming out of the mouth of a person. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair but, enough. But basically, the, the, they're two fairly unlikable people who wind up going to a wedding of what turns out to be her former flame and his stepbrother who he doesn't get along with so so basically uh you know they're, they're going to the wedding of people they don't really like and they're not terribly likable themselves and they basically ostracize themselves immediately and they're miserable they're and, and they don't yeah. get along together all that well either which of course you know means that eventually they're going to wind up going at it like uh like rabbits, but um, <laughs> and, 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 nicely put, Steve. And the circumstances in which it happens are actually fairly funny. But it's you know it might be the kind of film where in the first twenty minutes you might be inclined to turn it off because there it's the di- it's it's so it feels so written the dialogue feels so unnatural Very stylized yeah and yeah. that you know I stuck with it and eventually I got into the, you know either it found its groove or I just you know went along with it because I do like these actors so much and it's fun to see them back together after so long. But, um, it is, it is on Netflix. So, you know, it's not like you're paying money for it really, <laughs> but I, you know, in the end I, I enjoyed it. I like the way that these two eventually kind of warm up to each other. Uh, I don't know that there are many surprises in the film, but, but there are some, uh, some, comedic there's some comedic payoff uh, over the course of the film but uh, like i say you've they're, they're so chatty in the way that they define themselves early on that i feel like it should, should show more than it tells but uh, but again 
you know, if you if you like these actors in any way, shape, or form, you might want to check it out. I think you uh, you we need to call Netflix uh, marketers and because you found <laughs> out like the, you know you're not really paying for it anyway. So <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you are in the grand for the for more than for just a cup of coffee a day. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, I feel the same way. I, I it's it is formalized in a way that's a little uncomfortable uh, and unlikely. But uh, these actors, they really bring it, and even though they're so unlikable. I really enjoyed how how I enjoyed the sex scene on the side of the hill in San Luis <laughs> Obispo in in um, in California. I enjoyed the um, I just uh, yeah all of it was kind of uh, charming in some ways. At its best, I think it reminded me a little bit of Richard Linklater's Before trilogy, but only if Jesse and Celine had met for the first time in Before Midnight when they're already soured by life's <laughs> yes. disappointments and bad relationships with other people. Um, yeah, and there's a great little sort of jazzy score, um, and and I think I think it works. But I, I can understand that some people just might find them miserable, too miserable to spend an hour and a half. And oh, and by the way, they are the only two characters in the film who have speaking roles. That's right. So it's yes. all them doing all the heavy lifting <laughs> as performers. And I think I think it's great. I, I work for me. It may not work for you. That wraps up our look at the career recent and past of Keanu Reeves. A man we all love to love uh, these days, uh, based on his recent excursions onto the big screen. Of course, we have more to look forward to. Uh, uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music is apparently filming somewhere, due for release next year. Uh, And another uh, John Wick Chapter 4, whatever it ends up being called, uh, will be out in 2021. And Marvel uh, has been looking for for Keanu Reeves being in their movies too, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, sub Submariner. Who's gonna? He could play Submariner. Totally. Uh, or or Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer. Get the Surfer thing yeah. down. So yeah. we'll we'll see what happens there. But uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to seeing more of him and, and revisiting some of his previous work that uh, that either I didn't catch the first time around or just went completely under the radar. And uh, you know, maybe there's still time to maybe go back and catch uh, John Wick three. Uh, parabellum or parabellum? Uh, you- <laughs> I, I always said parabellum, but I might be wrong. I, uh, parabellum sounds right, but who knows? Um, you know, it's still in theaters, so uh, and probably will be for a while. So uh, if, if you, it, it just it's the kind of action I always, the kind of action film I always say they're not really making anymore, but they are obviously in this one, and hopefully it inspires some other filmmakers to make stuff where it's less about CGI, more about awesome fight scenes. Um, my name is Stephen Cook. I'm an arts writer here in Halifax uh, with the Chronicle Herald and elsewhere. And you can find me on Twitter at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. Uh, my name is Karsten Knox and I have my own uh, uh, Twitter handle as well. It's named after my blog, Flaw in the Iris. And actually, Lens Me Your Ears, the podcast you're listening to now, has its own Twitter handle as well. Yes, at Lens Me Your Ears and a Facebook page as well that you can check up on. And uh, of course, we also have a Patreon if you like the show and feel like uh, helping us out in any way, shape, or form, you can always do that as well. And of course, thanks to the folks here at CKDU-FM 88.1 FM who allow us the use of their production studio and uh, also air this show every other Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. And the good folks at the Village Soundcast Network who put it all together for us. Thanks and see you next time. Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Send feedback to Lends Me Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. 
This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.